email theoretically should be treated the same way, but nah. Welcome to the Common Errors in English Usage Podcast. I'm here with Paul Bryant, author of the Common Errors in English Usage website and book. I'm the editor of that book and host of this weekly podcast, Tom Sumner. Hello, Paul. Hi, Tom. Paul, it's the new year, or it's almost the new year, and this is a time of great change, isn't it? Um, well... Yes and no. In the terms of uh, if you're in school, it might be the beginning of a new semester. If you're uh, talking about financial things, uh, the stock market or whatever, it can be important, certainly for taxes. Um, but the middle of the winter is not a time when uh, a lot of the natural world changes. I mean, the day before... 2016 is not going to be that much different from 2017. It's a little arbitrary. And, of course, this is we're talking about the Western calendar here, not the Eastern calendar or the Muslim calendar, which actually has a rotating lunar um, timing for the beginning of the new year um, or the Chinese New Year or any others. Okay, so you're you're just dumping water on my whole <laughs> idea here, but it, of course it is there. There is an artifice to it, but it, at the same time, this is the time people make New Year's resolutions, isn't it? Where they decide they're going to make great changes, and uh, as we move forward in 2016, all will be entirely different. Of course, not none of that is exactly how it ever works out, but. Um, Nevertheless, at, the, at this time of year, we do focus on changes uh, or try to try to resolve to do things differently. And I found something recently that uh, coincides with this, uh, having to do with language. And of course, we always talk about oh, language is constantly in change. What we don't often have identifiers uh, pointing to exactly, oh, this is changing. Um, we, it just uh, slowly evolves over time. But once in a while, you come across something that, such as the column I saw by Bill Walsh, who is the uh, has been the Washington Post copy editor for the last, oh, 20 years or so. Uh, he's the author of Lapsing into a Comma. Uh, he also wrote a, a book, The Elephants of Style, and Yes, I Could Care Less. Those are some of his, his language books. Uh, but as the editor at The Post, uh, he wrote a blog post discussing some terms that are changing in the newspaper. And I just thought it was interesting because uh, here we are at the time of change in the new year, and here he is laying it all out, how language is changing. He's got a few terms here that he goes over, and they're actually covered in your book uh, in one way or another. Right. Uh, First first term that he brings up in his discussion is the word Mike. Yeah. Um, Well, I come at this from the point of view of somebody who has been very interested in audio equipment for a long, long time and who used to do a great deal of tape recording. Um, So until recently, the casual term for a microphone was M-I-K-E, not M-I-C. 
Young people now mostly imitate the technicians who prefer the shorter MIC label on their soundboards. But it looks distinctly odd to those used to the traditional term. There are no other words in English in which IC is pronounced to rhyme with bike. That's the reason for the traditional M-I-K-E spelling in the first place. Although the new spelling has largely triumphed in casual usage, editors may ask you to use the older spelling in publication. And I'm thinking here of uh, technical magazines in particular. That's a pretty small audience. I, I always like to think, okay, this is now common usage. It can be considered standard, and you're going to see it all over the place. But you have to think about those niches. It's not enough to say... Almost nobody uses the old spelling anymore. It's it's important to identify where is the place where people really prefer the old spelling and then make sure you're aware of it. It's also just interesting to know about the evolution of the term. And, uh, of course, one of the reasons we don't, we change the K, uh, the C in the word to a K is the M-I-C-E would be mice. Right. And I've heard you say uh, it's odd to discuss using it as a verb, Uh uh, we'll be miking you for this session. Right. Because How does that M-I- get spelled? If it's yeah, not the, you yeah. Want, don't want M-I-C-C-I-N-G. Mm-hmm. And M-I-C-I-N-G, nobody does that. So yeah, I almost have to do M-I-K-I-N-G. Yes. But again, that's only somebody who's doing miking. So most of the time when it gets used now, it's for expressions like open mic, where it's... It's being used metaphorically or loosely, not in relationship to actually operating a microphone. And to your point that some editors will ask you to switch it to the traditional spelling M-I-K-E, as of uh, December 2015... One of those uh, one of those uh, publications is not the Washington Post. They are switching to M-I-C. Right. And, uh, of course, uh, Bill Walsh, who who wrote the piece discussing this and of course we will have the link posted with the podcast uh, uh, he feels of t- very much of two minds about this uh, not wanting to impede progress but at the same time not quite understanding why why it's so necessary to have this uh, non-intuitive spelling or with this pronunciation but on the other hand nobody really gets it wrong when you see open mic night M-I-C Right, and and he confirms my suspicion that all of this started because on audio equipment, uh, say an amplifier or a mixer or other pieces of equipment, where they have little tiny labels on the various inputs, left, right, um, and one of them, and line, and one would be mic, but uh, there is not room to spell out microphone. And so uh, they just used the first three letters of the word, but what they meant was the traditional spelling, microphone, and and so they used M-I-C. For short, um, it wasn't meant to be a nickname like Mike, M-I-K-E. So anyway, I think it, it sneaked in through that path, and now it's standard. Sure, and if you're looking at a mixing board and you see M-I-C, it's so readily understandable as microphone. And if you looked at a mixing board and saw M-I-K-E, that would look a little strange, as if uh, there maybe there, you're, you're isolating mic 
Mike's track on the recording, and you have a musician named Mike in the session. Yeah, or Mickey Mouse. Or Mickey Mouse. (laughs) Okay, all right. Mickey Mouse. (laughs) Mick on the mic. Uh, Can we move on to his next term that he discusses and also covered in your book is uh, how to style the word email. So do you want to say anything about his approach to that? Well, uh, now he, he, in his... He admits that in his personal email correspondence, he's and for other things, use, personal uses, he is going to stick with the e hyphen mail. Um, he says that in his book, he called email with no hyphen an abomination. <laughs> so, okay, is that an abomination or not? I don't know, but I've seen the word email with no hyphen for years and years and years. However, I, like Bill Walsh as an editor, have been switching it to e-mail for years and years. Yeah, I have real mixed feelings about this one. Um, My entry says this, although the spelling email with all one word is extremely popular, some people prefer e-mail, which follows the same pattern as e-commerce. The E stands for electronic. And um, I don't think most people think of computers in terms of electronics. And I think one of the things that helps to reinforce the trend toward one word is the iBook. But um, I think that that smooshing together is something that is very common in the computer world generally. Mm-hmm. And so email is almost irresistible. And I find that what I tend to do now is if I'm writing an email to somebody and I want to mention the word email, I'm more likely to hyphenate it. But if I'm on Facebook, mm, <laughs> where I see, I'm much more likely to use the unhyphenated form. And I think um, I got an email uh, is more likely to be one word in my use than uh, I will email you. Seems like it needs a hyphen. So, oh, that's interesting too. You know, and uh-huh. so this is all pretty arbitrary. It's very subtle. <laughs> you're, I don't you're think you should have to apologize for one or the other. But if you're writing for the Washington Post, <laughs> you got to know what they're. It, well, and that's the point. If you're writing for publication, or you're trying to do something that that is presentable for your in your in your resume or your cover letter, uh, pick one and go with it. Don't 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 switch, make that switch back and forth. I don't recommend that. Uh, I'll email you is go, has a hyphen, and I got an email doesn't. I don't recommend using that in formal no. um, <laughs> correspondence. But it's true that it, we're watching it gradually disappear, and I think that that nudge also com- not just just comes from a tradition in um, computer words getting smooshed together, but also hyphenated phrases tend to move to become one word in general. Now, this is uh, because E itself is an an abbreviation for electronic. It's not quite the same thing uh, as, um, oh, you know, flapjack or something if if you decide to drop the hyphen uh, and it goes away. It's, It's a little bit slightly different case, but still watching hyphens disappear from phrases that work together as one word uh, is something that we is very common. But Walsh points out that that, although that's very, very common to have hyphenated phrases turn into single words, um, 
that's not what happens normally when we're using the first syllable as just a letter. That is, it's not only sounds like a letter and spelled like a letter. It's about the letter. So T-shirts, for instance, mm -hmm. still hyphenated. Sure. X-rays have been around for over 100 years, still hyphenated. Uh, and email, theoretically, should be treated the same way, but nah, <laughs> it's not. <laughs> yeah, and he makes a, he makes an excellent point about those two counterexamples, but at the same time, yeah, nah, no, I, I, I can't see fighting this battle any longer. Internet. I mentioned um, also, and I want to talk a little bit about that and capitalization. Mm -hmm. um, Internet is the proper name of the network most people connect to, and the word needs to be capitalized. Yeah. However, intranet, T-R-A, a network confined to a smaller group, is a generic term which does not deserve capitalization. In advertising, we often read things like unlimited Internet, $35. It would be more accurate to refer in this sort of context to Internet access. Um, so there are two issues there. One is, well, three, mixing up Internet and intranet, which doesn't come up much with people because they don't know the difference. But um, I always capitalize Internet. Um, but a lot of people don't. It's become sort of just the world they swim in. We also find that most people don't see any difference between World Wide Web and Internet, um, although the World Wide Web is one aspect of the Internet, as we have learned from some of these, the dark Internet stuff that's been going on that's not part of the Web. I'm, it's not one that I feel like doing a great battle for, but I do recommend that people capitalize Internet, the Internet. There's just one. The second thing is, or the third thing, is uh, Internet instead of Internet access. That's just, it's like um, satellite, which we talked about in an earlier podcast for uh, satellite television reception, um, where it's abbreviated and there's not much you can do about that. But anyway, it's good to remember that if the Internet is maybe almost unlimited, but your access is not necessarily. Right, yeah. Well, it, it, the capitalization of the word internet is, I, I believe, going to go away eventually as a more broad-based recommendation, but we still see it uh, in AP style, for example, uh, web site and internet, mm -hmm. uh, capital W, capital I, it's still with us as a stylistic uh, recommendation. Right, and I recognize, I, I recommend uh, capitalizing web pages and websites. And then, of course, websites is another one that had, uh, was two words originally, not hyphenated, but is pretty much smushed together now as websites. It's a little less formal. I first became aware of the term intranet when I was contacted by somebody from Internal Revenue. Mm. And he said, well, we've been looking at your common errors in English website and uh, would really like to use it, but we are not allowed to have any of the computers that we use at work connected to the Internet because we don't want people to be able to hack in. So we use an intranet, which is secure. Would you mind if we made a clone of your site and put it on the IRS website for the exclusive use of IRS agents. And so I agreed. That was a long time ago. And of course, the version they have, I don't know if they're still using it, but it's way out of date by now. But uh, mm -hmm. 
I amuse myself by thinking, well, just possibly I had a little influence on the way that people uh, write letters to tell somebody else that they're going to be audited. Yes, oh, that's interesting. Now, did they give you a break that year when on your uh, no. no, no, I can't say that. <laughs> All right, not even good for that. Bill Walsh talks about, and I learned a little something here about the styling of the of Walmart, which was um, I didn't know that I was interested in that as interested in how it uh, has come to be not hyphenated, but apparently. Um, the corporate name remains Wall-Mart. Now, the styling of it in the post is going to be, henceforth, Walmart, capital W, all one word, Walmart, with no hyphen. Yeah. Uh, but the company name still remains Wall-Mart. And this this rubs uh, Bill Walsh the wrong way that, that the company name would actually be one thing, but we're going to be styling it. But Walmart brought this on themselves because their signage on in their stores changed at some point and dropped the hyphen and became that one one long word, Walmart. Well, in, in one version of their signs, they're a star instead of a hyphen. Oh, well, yeah, something like that. Yeah. Yeah, which I think um, they may have picked up from Macy's, which has traditionally used a red star for the apostrophe in its name. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Which is something you can't really easily reproduce in, on a newspaper. Well, I have an entry on, uh, I don't have an entry on Walmart, but I do have an entry on company names with apostrophes. Yes. Which is where I wanted to go with this. Some company names which have a possessive form use an apostrophe before the S and some don't. Macy's does. And Starbucks doesn't. Logo designers often feel omitting the apostrophe leads to a cleaner look. And there's nothing you can do about it except to remember which is standard for a particular company. But people sometimes informally add an S to company names with which they are on familiar terms. I work down at the Safeways now. Though in writing, the apostrophe is likely to be omitted. This is not standard usage. Now, I had an interesting, another encounter was actually uh, an email exchange with a lawyer in Idaho who was very upset at the regional grocery chain Albertsons because they didn't put an apostrophe yes. in their name. And as a lawyer, he was saying, I think I should sue Albertsons <laughs> to make them put in the apostrophe. I don't know what kind of law he was drawing on, but I told him, you know, I, I just don't think that that's going to work. You notice that it's extremely rare to see apostrophes on highway signs, too. I mean, just generally, when you've got big, bold signs, such as the ones that go on the front of a building, the temptation to get rid of any little jots and squiggles is very strong on the part of the designers of the logos. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's right. Coming from the other end, uh, uh, I guess the... The uh, stereotype is uh, grocers, street corner grocers, make up for it by adding hyphen onto every plural. <laughs> so they're selling right. tomatoes, <laughs> T-O-M-A-T-O, apostrophe S. Yeah. yeah. And finally, in Bill Walsh's uh, piece, he talks about uh, the Post's concession on singular they. Yeah, and then this is one that... Uh, has people with strong feelings on both sides, and, and you can see these terrific battles on the web as people argue back and forth about it. Um, and uh, I take a sort of 
medium position, as is often the case. Using the plural pronoun to refer to a single person of unspecified gender is an old and honorable pattern in English, not a newfangled bit of degeneracy or a politically correct plot to avoid sexism, though it often serves the latter purpose. People who insist that everyone has brought his own lunch is the only correct form do not reflect the usage of centuries of fine writers. And you can find easily on the web where people have compiled lists of writers who have used the singular they. A good general rule is that only when the singular noun does not specify an individual can it be replaced plausibly with a plural pronoun. Everybody is a good example. We know that everybody is singular because we say everybody is here, not everybody are here. Yet we tend to think of everybody as a group of individuals. So we usually say everybody brought their own grievances to the bargaining table. Anybody is treated similarly. However, in many written sentences, the use of singular there and they creates an irritating clash, even when it passes unnoticed in speech. It is wise to shun this popular pattern in formal writing. Often expressions can be pluralized to make the they or their indisputably proper. All of them have brought their own lunches. People can often be substituted for each American's seldom avail themselves of the otherwise very handy British one to avoid specifying gender because it sounds to our ears rather pretentious. One's hound should retrieve only one's own grouse. If you decide to try one, don't switch to they in mid-sentence, as in one has to be careful about how they speak. This sounds absurd because the word one so emphatically calls attention to its singleness. The British also quite sensibly treat collective bodies like governmental units and corporations as plural. Parliament have approved their agenda, whereas Americans insist on treating them as singular. And I have a whole other entry on that point, in the collective plural. In UK English, it is common to see statements like Parliament have raised many questions about the proposal, in which because Parliament is made up of many individuals, several of whom are raising questions, the word is treated as if it were plural in form and given a plural verb. This is the proper noun form of what is called the collective plural. Many UK authorities object when this pattern is applied to organization names if the organization is being discussed as a whole and not as a collection of individuals. According to these authorities, the BBC have been filming in Papua New Guinea should be the BBC has been filming. This sort of collective plural applied to the names of organizations is almost unheard of in the U.S. and in fact strikes most Americans as distinctly weird, with the exception being the occasional sports team with a singular form name, like the Utah Jazz, the Miami Heat, the Orlando Magic, or the Seattle Storm. There's a sarcastic saying, the Utah, Utah Jazz are to basketball what Utah is to jazz. Another occasional exception is singular performing group names that are sometimes treated as plural, like the Who and the Clash. Though such groups are often also referred to in the singular, it's almost as common to write the Who rule as the Who rules. Exactly, yeah. Well, and this con the, to go back to the original point of the singular they, uh, I do like your take on it. Uh, it is an old... Uh, tradition and it's it's not some newfangled thing although um, the way Bill Walsh puts it he's not really discussing that the history of it the the deep history of it he's right. 
talking about as a more of a, a new phenomenon and a, con, a point of convenience to uh, avoid sexist language. Right. And the thing is that if you avoid using singular they, almost nobody will notice. Because if you manage to work your way around and reword the sentence in some way so you don't have to use it, you'll get no notice. Mm -hmm. If you do use it, then those people who it irritates will notice it. So it one argument is take the trouble to avoid it um, because it's going to really bother some people. But if you don't care about bothering those people, mm-hmm. um, then go ahead and use it whenever you feel like it. And I, I find myself, certainly, I use it in speech all the time. Mm-hmm. And, in, and I do sometimes use it in writing, but I notice it every time. And most of the time, I'll go back and change the sentence just to avoid it. Mm-hmm. I don't think I'm that sensitive to that. Once once you are exposed to the scholarship on it and the, the research pointing out the history of singular they and the concept that there can be a they that is singular, uh, the rest of it is just fine with me. However, there are times that uh, it gets a little awkward when the gender is known and the singularity is known uh, it is awkward to 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 use it in those cases, right? As you say. Well, um, that's it. I language is is changing, and here Bill Walsh has identified put a put a date on it for for us. But we see changes happening all the time, um, and and not just uh, around the new year. But it's a nice time to be talking about it, right? And uh, you know, we we talked earlier um, uh, about linguists and uh, tracking it and their generally low opinion of usage guides. And um, this one project in the Netherlands is uh, observing with, I think, some amusement that people who uh, you think of as dogmatic, who write usage guides, are adapting as time goes by to changes. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, some of that may be unconscious and just being influenced but a lot of it is quite conscious i think that um more than not uh, a lot of us who who work in this field are trying to keep our antennas up to say okay this has always bothered me but mm, doesn't look like it bothers many people anymore and it's just worth saying that i agree Uh, so thanks for saying it and happy new year happy new year to you tom That'll do it for the Common Errors in English Usage podcast. Send your comments, questions, and feedback to commonerrorspodcast at gmail.com. Thanks for listening.